Hey everybody, and welcome to Libromancy, a podcast about the magic of books. I'm Josh, and today I'm going to be talking about Harrow the Ninth, the second book in the Locked Tomb series by Tamsin Muir. So let's obfuscate the magic of books. So first we're going to keep this in a non-spoiler section and talk about the book in general. While I liked the book and I thought it was good, I felt like it was a little worse than the first book. I thought the first book really encapsulated everything really well, and the second book just fell shorter on a few marks. doesn't say it's bad, just it didn't quite work 100% for me. I thought she, Tamsin Muir, did some great world building, especially in the beginning of this book. She really set some things up, talked about some things. She was very good at introducing things somewhere and then using them again later, which I thought was well done for the most part. There were a couple parts that I felt kind of just came out of nowhere, and those I was a little surprised by. So some things were foreshadowed and some things weren't as foreshadowed. Especially near the ending, we'll get there. But there was a couple things that I thought, oh, well, that was an interesting choice that she made. And let's see, let's see how it goes. So I think that, again, this book needed an editor. Samson needed to take it to somebody to help her chop this book in half. I think 25 to 45% of this book could be taken out or cleaned up a little bit, and it would be so much better. There's nothing I can point to in particular that would say, like, yes, these scenes need to go, or those scenes, but the middle section is very repetitive, it feels like. Not a lot happens there, so the first 25 uh, 15 to 25%, I was super invested. I was reading it. I wanted to keep going. The middle, I was kind of like, ah, I just got to get through this. I'm not, you know, I'm learning this is cool, but there weren't enough cool moments to keep me engaged enough. And then the last 25% was just like a roller coaster off the rails. Super exciting. I just kept reading it and reading it and reading it. So it was really well. That part was really good. I just feel like a little bit of that middle section could have been trimmed up or changed or fixed, and then it would have been even better. Now, the same as in the first book, she did make a bunch of word choices that I just don't agree with. They feel out of place in the story uh, when she's using the words like, I Josh, I kid, you know, uh, that doesn't sound so right, or this isn't an FAQ. And I'm like, well, first off, nobody ever says FAQ. They say like, you know, I say at least fact, but that's not doesn't flow off the tongue. Nobody really says it. Uh, it just felt weird when they were saying it. Other than that, I liked the introduction of the characters. I liked the plot that we got. I thought she had a handle on the plot and all of its twists and turns really well. So that was a really good plus on her side. Let's. I think we're going to have to just go into spoilers now and talk about what is going on and what's not. So the... First thing I want to mention is I did like the timeline on the chapters, because if it said six months before the Emperor's death or two days before the Emperor's death, you kind of knew where to place it in the timeline. And with a book that does this much jumping around in time, you need to have something like that to help keep your frame of reference, because you never know if you're going to be skipping three days or three weeks, unless it tells you. So I like that. Let's talk about what happens in the book. Harrow, after becoming a lictor, learns a bunch of stuff, dies a bunch of times, and 
occasionally does some very cool things. And that's basically the story. It's kind of dry. To explain it a little bit better, uh, God, or John, has brought her. They have traveled through the river, which I'll talk about in just a second, to get to basically like the other side of the galaxy so they can fight the resurrection beasts that are basically revenants or the spirits of people who have died, but uh, it's a planet revenant, and it just consumes and eats life and destroys, and they have to stop them before they destroy the, the nine houses. They go there, they learn a bunch, they're being brought up to speed on what it means to be a lictor, um, and then that's kind of the, that's the story. And then there's stuff at the end, but we'll talk about the end. But we do know that Harrow's being a lictor has been messed up because her cavalier, which is Gideon, you know, won't protect her body when she goes into the river. And the river, you can kind of think of it as like the conduit to the afterlife almost. That's where the ghosts and the spirits go in the river. And the more kind of like bad things you do, the weightier your soul is and you fall down to the river. And if it's too weighty, then you get sucked into this thing and died. And that's, as they explain, one way they killed a resurrection beast and nobody's ever come back from this. Now, we know that Harrow performed her lictorship correctly, but what we kind of figure out in the first little bit is that Harrow has removed all of her memories of Gideon. She has, like, totally erased them because she didn't want Gideon to die at the end of the last one, obviously. And she's doing other things. So now we're seeing it with some we're seeing her go through and figure things out, but she has no cavalier instincts or cavalier body because she's locked all of that away. Now, the flashbacks that we get of Canaan House with Ortis was very interesting to see like what her mind was doing to like circumvent her memory so that she would know, you know so she could like figure out what happened in Canaan House and like how her brain compensated for that. Now, it was kind of a really, it was a really cool thing she did. I really liked that she wrote letters to herself and curse you know in code and handed it out to certain people after she woke up and you know each one had a list i just wish we'd seen more of it we saw two or three letters in the beginning you know open this check on ianth if her jaws changed you know kill her yeah, look at this look at this if you see this person hand them a letter but we never see what's on the letters and then the letters don't play that much of a role we get one extra letter and I just, I wish there was more. I really liked the letters and the planning things out. And I was really hoping for that to play more of a role than just Kara was so blinded by grief. She you know, basically removed that ability from herself. I wished it had been like, oh, I need to do this so I can trick people, so I can do this and accomplish this goal. Not so much. Uh, along the line with that, we have Harrow being insane or thinking she's insane. And whether that's real or not, or just because of her brain is playing tricks with her memories because she removed all mentions of Gideon Nav, I'm not sure, but I don't think she was actually as insane as uh, she was kind of thinking she was. Um, and then we learn that there's somebody else trying to take over her body, and that she is fighting. So, this book had a lot of good memories. There are a lot of good parts to it. Most of them were just clumped up at the end. These are all, all these things I'm talking about. They're either the very beginning or the very end. In the middle, she is kind of with all of the other lictors, the three other lictors, Mercy, Morn, Augustus, and Gideon, who she thinks is Ortus, because she replaced in her memories 
any mention of the word Gideon with Ortis. So that's kind of what's going through her mind. And they are learning, you know, they're teaching Ianthem Harrow how to be lictors and what the resurrection beasts are, planets that have been killed to fuel their necromancy, but they were killed in such a way that the Revenant was able to escape, and then they gain power by killing other things, and then they, they slowly move towards the lictors and God to kill them and attack them. Gideon, the saint of duty, the, takes it upon himself to kill Harrow every chance he gets, because she's a liability and a weakness, and he does that. And while it amped the tension, it was... It just felt very repetitive. We watch him nearly kill her four or five times. And she's just powerless every time. She does certain things and it doesn't work. And she tries other things and it doesn't work. And while that can sometimes make for a good story, it felt a little bit too repetitive in this situation. You know, we learn that Gideon is a Thanergy void, which means he can drain Thanergy so her skeletons are all useless to her in this situation. But that doesn't stop Harrow from trying to kill duty still and she goes on this manic episode basically because she can't sleep because she's afraid the saint of duty will come in and kill her so she stays up for six days and you know fills her time with boring things like cooking and trying to sew because uh, john who is god asked her to and then she cooks a meal for everybody and then she bakes basically makes the saint of duty explode by putting her marrow, her own marrow, in the soup and feeding it to everybody. And then with her own marrow in it, she can sense it and make it explode. And God obviously stops her from killing the Saint of Duty, but never seems to tell the Saint of Duty to just stop killing Arrow. Like, yes, we know she's a liability. Like, please stop killing her. She's not going to get me killed, like, right now, so stop it. But no, he doesn't do that. It's like, why wouldn't you just tell her to tell him, excuse me, tell the saint of duty to stop it. Augustus, the saint of patience, has no patience. And Mercy Moore, Mercy Moore and the, the saint of joy, for the most part, is very joyless in this book. Sometimes, but uh, not often. So let's skip, I think, let's talk about the very end. As much as I like the very end, I feel like it really, really came out of nowhere. So they are gearing up to fight the resurrection beast. And to fight the Resurrection Beast, they have to go into the river, which is kind of the metaphysical place where people go when they die. And you, as a lictor, you can go there because your body is kept alive by the Thanergetic energy, and then your cavalier keeps your body protected you know, from physical attacks. Uh, except for Arrow, because of these locking in, she's locked Gideon's soul away, and so she has never absorbed it, she can't do those things. Now... They are fighting the Resurrection Beast and Gideon because of things I'll talk about inside Harrow's mind in a river bubble. Basically wakes up and is controlling Harrow's body and thinks, you know, what the heck have you been doing? I told you to work out. I told you to build up some muscle mass so you can use my sword and my skills and you didn't do anything. And I'm trying to protect you, your body, but... I'm fighting these heralds of the resurrection beast, and she doesn't know what they are, but she's like, I saw, like, your thumb got bitten off, and then it regrew back, and I got slashed, and your intestines came out, and then they refilled, you know, they sucked back in, and they healed, and she's like, this is crazy, but she's fighting, she fights her way to Mercy Morn, Mercy Morn is like, oh, I know who you are, and then 
tries to kill her, then they stop, and they all go to God. And basically, they have a big heart-to-heart with God, where they say, Oh, Gideon is your child. And I'm like, what? Because of her eyes. And we learn so much in this last little bit. We're like, Gideon is the daughter of uh, a different lictor and God, John. And the lictor is a lector. A-L. This is A-L we've been hearing about the whole book. And John tricked them. And he tricked the other lictors into thinking they had to kill their cavaliers. But you don't. You can create a bond. But it kind of makes the cavaliers go crazy. But that part wasn't really 100% clear to me. Just going to put that out there. Whether the bond that he did makes them go crazy. Or if just she went crazy because she was then resurrected. And then did the cavalier switch thing. And that's what made her go crazy. But then they kill God. And I'm like, what? You're just going to kill God? I mean, like, okay, that's cool. Because it's been building up to this the whole time. So they think they kill God. And then, and, you know, basically condemn all the rest of humanity to death because of that. And then God just reforms from Adam. So he's like, oh, I can't die, by the way. Like, I'm actually unkillable. And they're like, what? And he's like, yeah, I literally just can't die, no matter what, basically. And they're like, oh, that's not cool. And then he kills Mercy Morn, of course, who tried to kill him. And I was like, what? Like, this, this came out of nowhere, like... The lictor ship being completely wrong, like a trick and a, and a deceiving, and then the god being unkillable, and they actually tried to kill him. And by the way, he's not afraid of the resurrection beasts. They can't hurt him. And I'm like, well, if they can't hurt you, are you just playing this for an act? You're getting your lictors killed, these people you love and you worked with for 10,000 years because you were doing it for an act that they had to do all the work? I mean, if you're immune to these lictor, to these resurrection beasts, and they don't pose a threat to you at all, why not just kill them? I don't get it. The Augustus, the saint of patience, remains on the side that God needs to die, drags the whole ship into the river, and tries to take God to the very bottom of the river where there's those stroma, the holes to nowhere, that no one knows where they go, and almost gets him, gets God and himself in the hole to take them away, but Ayanth intercedes and saves God at the last minute. And then we just drop it. I'm like, whoa, I really want to know more about what happened like immediately after the Emperor's death because he doesn't actually die. He dies and then comes back. So uh, now we're going to talk about what Harrow's doing at this last little bit because Harrow is in a river bubble. When they go to attack the resurrection beast in the river, they are working, and then she drops out, but instead of going back to her body, she's somehow shunted into this river bubble that she's accidentally created, and that's why Gideon is able to inhabit her body. And then Hero, this is what the scene of all this is the source of all the flash excuse me. This is the scene of the flashbacks that we've been having. That they aren't actually flashbacks, but just that when she goes to sleep or passes out she starts experiencing this, and she's called all these ghosts into her river bubble to replay it so her brain can process it with the gaps that she's included of not knowing Gideon. And here she has to work through them with Ortis, and with Ortis, her old champion, her old cavalier, and with all the other people who died at Canaan House. So that part was really cool. I liked it a lot. You see this figure coming in, the sleeper, and trying to kill and take over her body. Why? We don't really know. 
We know something about people called the Blood of Eden, and they don't like God, and they have the worst names ever because they're just like pop songs and references to like today's time. This did not fly with me, and I loved that the rules of the bubble are kind of predicated on your belief in Sabortus, really believes in Matthias Nonius, the champion of Ninth House. And so because of his belief and their necromancy, they're able to change the rules of the bubble, and he gets summoned and fights, and it was really cool. But then as everything's crumbling down, Harrow, you know, instead of just switching and taking over her body again, she... I'm not sure if she's sacrificing herself or if she'll come back in the next one. And I'm hesitant to say she won't come back in the next one because I think she will. But she entombs herself basically in her own mind for a little while at the end of the book. And I was, you know, to give Gideon her body basically. And that was pretty cool. Then the very last chapter was about Camilla and a person we know like nothing about. And I... I wished it had ended with Harrow. The, the part was kind of a, an interesting like next story, but it really, I didn't think, added a ton to this story, and it should have been pushed to the other side. So, But again, I think that's going to wrap up my discussion of Harrow the Ninth. I liked it. I did think it was good. I just think it needs to be a little bit shorter, have a little bit more editing cut up, done on it, cut up. But the world building was cool. The magic was really cool to watch and to see. It was very exciting, the parts, the front and the end of the book. So thanks for listening, everybody. And thanks to David Hillowitz for the intro and outro music. Of course, if you have any questions or comments, you can send them to libromancypod at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter sometimes at libromancypod. And I'm putting a calendar up on the website, uh, libromancy.podbean.com. Just showing what books are coming up next if you'd like to read along or try and read ahead. You know, please like and subscribe wherever you get, po- get your podcast from. It really helps others find the podcast. And remember to obfuscate the magic of books. Mm-hmm.